If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Hello, I'm Clark Ching, and you're listening to the Agile Uprising Podcast. Okay. Bro, no. What's up, people? Welcome to another. It's hard. <laughs> we're going and we're live. It's the Agile Uprising Podcast. Once again, thank you for joining. I'm Jay Horskow, your host extraordinaire. I have a murderer's row of IT guys with me. I have Mr. Andrew Laff. What's up? I have Mr. Jonathan Schneider. IT, I take offense to that. How you doing? Fresh off his role as a uh, stunt double in The Diplomat, Stephen Kellogg. <laughs> hey, all. And last but not least, the one developer we suckered into coming into the conversation, <laughs> Franz Alkaman. Franz, thanks for joining. Hey, guys. So the topic of, John, what's our topic tonight? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. kidding. Okay, so the topic of this episode is we are going to be unscripted. Uh, and the topic is going to be architecture. So we had a conversation going the other day in our Discord chat about architects. And John threw out this high-minded statement, which drove a lot of buzz. And his high-minded statement is... Architects are redundant in modern development as the best designs emerge from self-organizing teams and those doing the work. So the question then turned into, are architects technical coaches? So, John, start. let's start with, we've laid out the, the, the thesis. Yep. So let's start with your argument. Okay, so let's talk about, first let's start with the redundancy question. Are yes. architects redundant in modern software engineering? So, and I'll stay high level because I know we're going to dive into all these things, but the whole purpose of why architects are supposed to and usually be existing is to provide the runway governance, policies, standards, practices, kind of basically what are the boundaries and things that we're supposed to be solutioning within based off whatever context they deem makes sense. And we're going to get into the details of what that means, but they're usually the ones that are setting hey, uh, these are your uh, investment boundaries based off technology solutions you can choose. Here is your policies based off audit and compliance that you have to be bounded by. Here are the um, integration standards. Here are the, you know, and like you can go on and on with all these governance boundaries, policies. So the point is though, that I'm saying is the reason why they might be redundant. Well, let's say all that's clear. Let's say all that's established. And we also have people that understand why it was implemented and the reasoning behind it and why they made those decisions and why that governance is in place. Well, at some point you start to ask yourself, well, we all now have education on why they chose those things. We can keep solutioning around those boundaries. Well, it sounds like we just need to really enable our engineers and people who build solutions to just know what architecture needs to be put in place which means, well, why do we have a person always speaking to it when we can code it or automate it or even just make it part of our mindset and culture among engineering? So that's where the argument starts to come into play where 
really maybe if it's about a maturity of our engineering on can they have the mindset of how to architect more than having architects themselves. Would you say though, in your context, so let's let's go with the definition of where oh how you're describing an architect mm -hmm. and um, the way they're being brought in. Would you say it would make sense to have an architect who was highly skilled at writing out those initial prompts for this is how we're going to build stuff. And then Absolutely. after they write those initial prompts, you pop them onto another project. So you don't have to train 50, you know, code monkeys sure. that come in and figure out cloud architecture. I would but you have this one guy who sets up teams. Yep. In that, in that <clears> case, <throat> though, and I'm curious what Steven and others have to say this, but I would say uh, in, in using the words that I was using to describe, I would say an engineer will play that role of architect and do that activity. Instead of it being a job, somebody has to play that role, to your point, because those activities still have to happen. So you're saying don't make it an architect, make it as a uh, part of us bringing in a new sprint or epic or whatever it is. Let's have architecture as a step. So instead of it yep. a person, it and, is something that's collaboratively driven. And in the absence of that skill or people having it, an architects exist to coach and get people there to where they need to be. Okay. So. John, are you thinking, are you suggesting that, you know, we talk about the whole idea of shifting left on security, right? So getting, getting rid of the role of InfoSec and typical projects of product development, they, they basically own the pattern library and then, they, and then they own the maintenance of that pattern library, which yep. is then applied across the entire um, landscape. Are you basically suggesting the same thing vis-a-vis -vis architecture? Yeah, because um, if, if the more you tend to automate and build that structuring, like I said, not only does the architecture role start to disseminate and become a mindset and a practice among engineering, there's some, I know what maybe is going through some of your guys' heads is, well, somebody still has to drive the, the like future direction and where it's going and how we're going to improve it and how we make sure we're still taking advantage of the new technologies. Because architects do a lot of that too and the right investment decisions. You know what that sounds a lot like to me? Technical product management. So that's how so I would it's interesting you bring that up, right? So I see this being a discipline as far as, to me, architect needs to, to partner with business and do the strategic road mapping, right? So as a product organization, we're trying to do X, Y, and Z. Here's the guardrails when it comes to the technical strategy and implementation of that. So when you said runway, right? So I almost think of it, and I hate to even say this, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> if we think of it in an agile framework perspective, right, they almost become you know, the enterprise coach, it's all about the software craftsmanship. How many architects have you dealt with on a daily basis that don't have a tech debt strategy, right? Like when we're paying, like what's the strategy for tech debt as we acquire more companies, right? If we're doing a lot of acquisitions, what's the acquisition strategy and how do we take that technical stack, integrate it with our, as opposed to leaving all these orphan systems that you need all this overhead and these architects keep power because they're the only ones that have the historical knowledge of the entire system. So I, I work with architects on a daily basis. It's not a, hey, I don't like architects thing. So I, I'll put my no, flame me. suit on now. But That's me. We'll get to that in a minute. So I do like that as, as, as architecture, as a mindset, and not just about the, the title. And sorry, Franz, I didn't mean to No, no, please. Um, so I've, um, hmm. as... As an engineer who's a bit more close to the code than just straight coding or just straight uh, coaching, uh, I've had the opportunity to interact with a lot of different architects. And the two times I think I've seen architect being the most valuable 
is when you have someone who's very close to the product or very close to the code. So you have a cloud architect. So we're coming in and we have 12 people who are very familiar with AWS and they're good at working stuff, but they don't have the time to watch every single new presentation comes out and know the five-year roadmap that AWS has. Because at the end of the day, there is a diminishing return for a company to keep investing that level of specialization into every single one of their engineers. It's it. It is prohibitive to do that. They would rather you be very good with AWS, very good with Azure, very good with Google, whatever it is. And then you have like the one or two people who are the, the, the specialists in that field. So I've seen success in that where you have a small number of hyper-specialized people who are incredibly good with an architect. Um, and then this kind of goes back to the earlier point of the enterprise architect. The, the place I work now, I work for a consultancy firm named Aleda. And we have these contracts that we'll be working on our clients that'll be working on for five or six years. And under this one particular client, we'll have six or seven teams that are completely separated from one another. So one's working, one's working on e-commerce, one's working on database management or messaging or whatever it is, or data mesh. And the architect there brings in value because they are not above like in charge of all the teams, but they have an idea of the entire landscape of these massive companies. So when my team, which is handling Kafka messaging, we're keeping the 12 applications in sync. When we're coming up with our next solution for something, we'll run it by our um, architect or our principal, whatever it is. And they will be able to answer questions for, well, we would like to make it so that this object is built this way and it handles this way and it communicates through this way. Will that run into bumps? And nine out of 10 times, nope, that's totally fine. Your work's isolated enough. But having that one out of 10 times where you're able to come in and have the architect say, you can't do it that way. There's another team over here that's building something that will directly conflict with that. Let's fix it. And there, it's not agile. I mean, we all know that, but there is a value in having that one subject matter expert for these large things. And I believe in instances like that, looking at them as an architect, I think that's a more accurate use of the term than person who's very good at, you know, producing A, B, or C. Can I ask a follow-up question Please? To, to what you just said? So do, as a developer or as an engineer, mm -hmm. do you respect an architect more that has the software chops that is that ingrained, that has that level of knowledge, as opposed to somebody that is more strategically thinking? So, so am I just a real quick soundbite on that? My experience working with technical coaches is if you don't have the technical chops, the engineers don't really listen, right? Just like any other discipline. So you so, got to believe that the person has been in the trenches. As, as I'm sure we've all, I mean, everybody here has interacted with developers. Developers are ruthless. It is highly meritocratic. If you're somebody who comes in there and you have your butter bars on and you're going, I, I, took the class, I know how this thing works, and you start talking down to people and you don't know what you're talking about, developers will eat you alive and they will never respond to your emails or anything. That's that's a fact. We all know that. We've all interacted with those teams. We've all been that developer or the guy getting that, uh, <laughs> that, that silence, right? I've been very lucky in that the, the two biggest architects I've worked with, one is insanely good at understanding how clients do stuff. So I haven't seen him work on technical stuff. I can't speak to technical skill. But when it comes to knowing the 50 silly systems they have, including like the 40 something homegrown, oh, this does this one thing really well, they know everything. And so they earn respect in that one. And then I've had another architect who um, he can outperform development wise the entire team. 
So we'll have two tickets that the entire team is like, okay, I think this is three or four points. We're looking at about a week for the two of these put together. And then we'll come back and he goes, yeah, I couldn't sleep because the kid was awake. Um, so I just did all the work. You're like, oh, so if you do not have an architect with the level of skill that makes everybody pause, they will not be respected because you have to, you have to be able to command the respect from the room or the so developers are just going to ignore this, you. This brings up an interesting topic though. We're, we're kind of using the term vaguely and I know this is probably- it's a, it's a garbage term. Well, well <laughs> enterprise architect, solution architect, data architect, business architect, and I could go on and not like, there are probably seven <laughs> different architecture roles, which all of them reference different frameworks and practices, whether it's Togath, Zaxman's, and like, so, it's interesting when we start getting into those disciplines and roles too. For example, like when you were talking Franz about like those architects, I expect them to be like solution architects or people that are really damn close at their craft where they have to know their audience and to like left's point, like, yeah, if you don't have technical chops, they won't take them seriously probably, but now go to an enterprise architect. The business won't take them seriously if they don't have business background. Exactly. So now it's a completely different domain. I think what it really boils down to, and I'll let everyone else have a turn after this. Um, <clears throat> the only two architects, like the subdivisions of architects that I've interacted with that I think really command respect and drive results is technical architecture and enterprise architecture. Because all the other architectures are just fancy engineers. So it's just a very good lead developer. But technical architecture, you're able to see and figure out multiple systems that are getting combined, or you're seeing um, the enterprise architecture where it's, I know the entire landscape of a company. Those, um, yeah, those situational subject matter experts, I think outside of that, most of the time an architect can be boiled down to a lead engineer or uh, some sort of fancy engineer or like an expert in a domain. Steven. Hmm. <clears throat> We had a, so part of this conversation, we were talking about the um, <clears throat> the role of an architect. Um, are they, like Fran said, are they truly just over, over entitled, um, way more admin rights than they should have software engineers? And you dropped the bond mod that we all love to hear in a conversation when we're all sitting around the bar of, it depends. <laughs> and then you made the remark about how, um, uh, should we consider architects in, in, in lieu of calling them technical coaches, right? Maybe sh are they more like a architectural guide or a mentor to software engineers? Or should we, do we re need to, before I get into my, my absolute just disdain for architecture, do we need to rebrand them, right? Yeah, so I, I guess I was going to hit on a couple of things that were hit on already, but, you know, there are different types of architects. So that's that's one part. Another part is, to me, it depends on the complexity of the system, right? So I was involved in building out a loan origination system, and I was very happy to have an architect that could come in and say, based on my experience, these are things we need to look for. These are ways we should design this. Here's how we can move forward. So depending on the complexity of the system, you may or may not need an architect. Obviously, I've built systems myself in the past where I designed the database, I designed the front end, I did all the coding to connect it all up. Was it the best solution? Probably not. Could I have used an architect? Probably. But I got it done and was it needed? Eh. Right? So it really does to me depend on the complexity. And then I think as you move up into 
what you guys are talking about, much larger enterprise where there are many different systems interacting and all that. Yeah, it really helps to have somebody there that can look at the overall solution. So, and I do think that it's different than having a engineering manager or a director of engineering that's got a lot more of the HR type functionality and, you know, are people learning what they need and are they, you know, how are they doing today and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, I think there's a difference too that was brought up where sometimes it's more at the CTO level. Like if it's a smaller or medium-sized company, that does play that role of understanding the different systems and staying on top of a, hey, could we do this? But to the same point, it helps if that CTO can say, you guys are stuck on this? Yeah, well, back when I was coding, we did stuff this way. Does that resonate? Can you find something there? Or, you know, let me dive in here and go find a tool that'll do what you need. <laughs> you, know what, what that, you, know what? you know what that oddly uh, changed? I'm going like to share that. Go I'm going to share the anecdote before we go on to you, John. Uh, you know, you talk about Stephen having the reputational cachet, right, to be able to do what these people are doing. This is probably before Lef's time, but in a previous life, Lef and I were in some credit card trenches together, and there was a CIO who worked there who one night the ESB team was really stuck with the Java issue. So they were trolling some Java programmer's message board at 3 a.m. looking for answers, like posting questions, and the CIO responded. And then he, the next day, he went into the office and said to them, you know, you could have just come to my office and asked me. I would have helped you figure this out, right? So there is something to be said about someone who can talk the talk but walk the walk. And uh, again, we'll skip my disdain. That's probably talk. a whole nother conversation. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you were mentioning interesting things, Stephen, about how this correlates to my comment about architects being technical coaches. Because if you actually take what you uh, said sort of out of context but applied a different way, what are what is also have what also has complex systems that are difficult where people attack uh, try to approach it without the right expertise they may get get through it but may not build the right or ideal solution or approach it correctly this is literally why agile coaching exists wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. People who don't have the right knowledge or expertise approach it with the best intents in mind and they may or may not build the right solution John are you talking about architecture or parenting because I'm kind of confused <laughs> right now. That's, that's a good one. Um, but like, it, it is interesting when we look at it, because this is why I brought up the whole notion of, well, are they technically, you know, coaches to these people? Because the same approaches, well, we have a complex org design, it's hard to deliver, it's complex, the architecture for how we operate is, and then it's like, hey, we bring in these people that are coaches that are supposed to know how to design and influence and put governance and boundaries and that's why I say, well, we we never really say, well, we need these coaches to stay here forever and make sure these people are always following this, or at least that's never the intent, although some people do that. And that's why I try to play that same analogy back where it's like, well, if that's how we approach coaching and frameworks and mindset for people and how to operate, why don't we do the same on the technical side? Andrew Leff, does an yes, architect need, need to be technical? Do they have to be technical? Could they get away without being technical? Now, Franz had the call out of the two that he most respects, so the enterprise and the technical architect. Could someone carve out a career as an architect and not be highly technical? And Franz, I mean, I'm going to go to you for the rebuttal, so start building your argument. Um, yeah, I mean, I call myself a coach. Do I have the – no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, I yes, I, I, I do think you need the technical – 
chops to to go into the architectural technical architecture right like if you're becoming like i think of myself as an architect right i'm a solutions architect but solutions of people systems of people right so human architect whatever you want to call it we architect teams of people to deliver based upon something so i think that yes you you do need to have a technical background i mean i don't ever try and pretend because i've been beaten with that stick too many times or it's like you're you're not even on our level right like you're talking about stuff that happened years ago and i think that's something also to take into consideration is when you graduate up these levels right your learning changes so you might be stuck in a time where you were really good at something but that ship has sailed right like technology moves so fast that you need to how are you staying on top of the technical curve and ahead of it to really educate yourself so you can you can kind of stir those creative juices amongst an engineering culture to keep people on the cutting edge even though you're working in mainframe technology doesn't mean that your your coding ability is dead right there's there's a lot of greatness out there to learn and experiment with and inject that energy into your company differently than just the hey, you need to follow these technical practices, right? So you have to balance it out with creating some excitement, putting, you know, and some energy and some spark. So yes, I do believe you need the technical background. That was my long-winded answer. Visual COBOL for mainframes. There you go, right? (laughs) Um, I would like it to be COBOL, but block coding. Uh, (laughs) Hey, I did COBOL back in the day, so. Hey, you know what, man? (laughs) Aging uh, myself. My CSI 101 guy said, I did COBOL. And he goes, and if I ever stop being a professor, I can make more than all of you guys being the one guy in the entire district that knows COBOL. <laughs> He's not wrong. He's not, He's wrong. Right. not wrong. not wrong. Ask, Very true. Go to Charlotte and ask every single bank. They love their COBOL developers more than they love their C-level people. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> so, so one um, thing, Andrew, off of that, the thought there is part of what you start learning as you continue to move as you were talking about moving up is you start learning how to ask questions that provoke them to get the answers so it's not that you necessarily still like i can't code i mean i've read sequel recently and was able to get through it enough to understand what was happening but i i wouldn't put myself against any developer nowadays to say okay let's have a competition right but i can if they're stuck I can ask questions or have them talk me through stuff and say, hey, well, maybe this is where you should dive in. Or I can go Google with the best of them. Probably that's also a good art to understand. <laughs> I can Google better than probably 90% of the people that that I've met that, you know, and it's it's just understanding how to think and how to now it's going to be prompting, right? Can you prompt it the right way? Well, yeah. with all the AI stuff, right? Yeah. Um <clears throat> I don't think you need to be technical to be an architect because I think the word technical doesn't properly encompass what an architect does. I think you need to be an expert. So you don't need to necessarily be a technical expert um, to be able to architect something. But when somebody comes up and you're an architect of a domain and someone comes up and they ask a question of it, you have to be the one guy in the room who within 10, 15 seconds can competently answer the question. Because you're the modern architect, their primary goal or their primary role is to make decisions. 
It's to um, when there's six developers going, well, do we use Aurora? Do we use MySQL? Do we use Maria? Do we try Cassandra? Do we do this? Do we do that? And they go, no, we're going to do this. All those things have merit, but I think this one's going to be just a little bit longer of a working decision. So it makes sense to do this. Or, well, do we integrate these five systems with, um, do we buy a sixth or do we use what we have? And it's like, no, I know we're going to use this because the sixth system you guys are talking about is going to cause us more headaches. So we're going to do this. It's, it's an ability to make decisions quickly um, and convey why that's a good decision. Not necessarily the right decision, but a good decision. Um, and it's being able to have that expert knowledge of your domain. And I think that can be outside of technical. Um, I think expertise doesn't, in, in IT, you can be an expert in IT without being a, an engineer. You don't have to be hands-on keyboard to be a architect in some way in an IT landscape. It always helps. I will say that you will have a much better time in an IT environment if you can say, I know more than just access. Like if you can come in and do that, you will have a better time. But I, I think there is a value in acknowledging non-technical people in an IT space from time to time. So you bring up a good point, Franz, right? The idea that someone who has that lofty title of architect, right? They should know enough, competent, right? Know enough about their space to be able to answer competently and confidently when a situation provided, I think we should do X because Y, Z, and Q. And you may disagree, um, but at least I know enough, which, I mean, that that can be said. I mean, that same argument can be made for, uh, there's a lot of things where we say we need people who come from outside. Maybe, maybe I'm talking myself into the argument that, a non-technical architect could probably be a benefit to a company if balanced with a highly technical one, because you want someone who's going to come in with a novel approach because they don't have the same um, blinders that come with growing up an architect, right? Where yeah. you're just trained a certain way. Even that five degrees difference in the aperture will will lead to some different yeah. novel solutions. Yeah. Yeah, I like think a, there are some interesting pieces that happen in the development world that happen in a lot of worlds, which is, Oh, I've been a developer on four projects now. So I'm going to go here and get hired on as an architect. And then you're like, oh, hey, so, you know, what other systems have you designed? Well, yeah, this is Same the first one. one. Yep. Okay. But there's not like, it's easier to shift into that. And, and I think not only have you not architected a system before, but you probably don't, as we were talking about earlier, don't necessarily have the business understanding of where is the business going so that I'm not designing for tomorrow, but I'm designing for where we're heading. And that, that's another huge gap that often happens. So well, can I, I throw this question out there? Please. In lieu of that. So if, if we're looking at, so how many companies, we've all worked for a lot of different companies, right? How many companies have you worked for that have defined that role? Right. So has the role been defined? Right. So people are just trying to find their way. Now, granted, I, you could say that about a lot of roles, but it, since the topic is this, have you ever walked into an organization that you truly understand what the architectural role and what success looks like for an architect? Only yes, one. Only one. Who was it? Uh, there was a company <laughs> that is in Charlotte, but they had a, a new VP that came in and set up their architecture about three years ago from basically ground zero. They had three architects that uh, Franz was describing basically where I've been here long. I know the systems and I know everything more than everybody else. So I'm going to be called an architect. 
And that's how they operated for quite some time. Then an actual VP came in and said, how are you actually strategically thinking about your master data and data in the business as you grow? Where's your data architecture, discipline, and governance? Okay, now let's move on to security. What are you doing? It's the same question. Okay, now let's move on to your applications. Same question. Then he got onto the business. What are you doing with your product? Same. And as he exposed each one of these areas, he realized that architecture was needed only to close a gap in the maturity of their organization, what they wanted to do technically that actually supported their business growth because they were making really bad technical decisions that hurt their P&L and they didn't have the expertise to understand why. So they basically had to start bringing in that domain of, now to your point left, what was their role? The, the VP made it really clear and it was top down, straight up. He said, the architect's role is to be a mentor, guide, and governance to engineering to make sure they're making the right business decisions for their solutions they implement on products, period. That and was their I think for a lot of developers, um, and I went into this with one of my recent employers, and this started with where John and I worked together, was um, I was the most senior engineer for a whole bunch of the domain of the company. For like the particularly the the web portfolio, I was the most senior person. I went, they went, oh well, Franz is our our web uh, our solution architect for all this. I went, oh cool, I guess this is what architecture is. And I spent a bunch of time doing that, and then I went into different firms, and you're like, oh well, I did this, and they would bring up the same questions. And it's uh, I think the biggest problem we run into in the IT industry for the architect is we just go, well, you we need a title below director but above lead. So we're going to call you an architect. There was a guy who was very good who was called an architect. So now you're that thing. Well, what does uh what does that mean? Ah, oh, it doesn't mean anything, but it's a much cooler title than lead. Oh, and you get a pay bump. <laughs> yeah, and here's your here's your extra three percent, and you get an extra stock buy-in at the end of the year, right? Draw uh, pretty um, pictures and explain things. Yeah, that's yeah. dude. <laughs> I John, it's funny you mentioned that. I bet you, I bet you a six pack or whatever you can pick. That if you went to twenty developers and you asked what's the difference between being a lead engineer and a solution architect, and they go, "Oh, architecture diagrams, same yep. thing." You just draw a picture <laughs> every time. It's like, that's right. Yeah, they're like, "Well, how, how do you communicate those pictures?" Because I draw a picture, people look at picture. <laughs> Thanks, Tim, you, you knock it out of the park. Well, it's a, that's are, a real problem in our industry. It. None of our terms mean anything. Uh, <laughs> you guys are talking around. So I think it was Claudia who brought up how she was at a client where there, everybody wanted to be an architect. And so they right. did a fact, basically went out to a fact finding mission to figure out why oh, does everybody want this architect. role? And she came to realize that they all wanted to be more like Person A, Lef, or right? They all wanted to be more like Lef um, because Lef is awesome. They wanted right. to be promoted, right? Because they felt that an architect was a more senior or upgraded version of what they what they are, with the to your point, Franz, right? That middle step between senior and, and VP. Yeah. And the third part that she found out is none of them actually looked into the skills and responsibilities necessary to be successful in the role. It was, this is my next logical step. This is what left does and left is cool. I want to be like left, you know, send me the website where you get those giant glasses. But they never looked at to say, yo, it's not just the glasses and the tattoos and the sneaker collection. There's some insanity behind that, right? So it's, 
it's the whole, Hey, I want to be an agile coach. Well, why, why do you want to get your teeth kicked in every third conversation? Cause if you do, then, then I would just tell you to get married. You don't need to be a fucking agile. <laughs> it gets more expensive at the end though, right? Yeah, yeah, the rollback, the rollback. But you're right. It's 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 a it, John's point was you don't set the right expectation. People start building their own model around what they think it is, and then they get there and they're like, "This isn't what I ordered." This is a big issue we're actually doing in my current company. I'm curious, um, Franz and Stephen, if you run into this too, but. Um, there's a very uh, industry standard, if you want to call it that, on like what a senior engineer is or what a principal engineer is. And nothing frustrates me more when somebody's like, how many years of experience do you have? Eight? Yeah, I'm a senior now. And it's just like all of a sudden anointed to you just because you've been around for that long. And well, yeah, we already talked about it a little bit, but like, can you mentor? Can you do that? And so like the expectations and is wildly diminished. I mean, the running joke is, hey, if you know a new programming language and it's been out a year and you were in it for a year, you're a senior. And like, they just market themselves that way. And I was, I think that's part of the problem. Like I was a consultant before I got into um, kind of more enterprise level work. So I, would, I did consultancy work, right? or not consultant contract, because there's a difference. Um, so I was a contractor. I did that for years. And I was an expert in my domain. I was incredibly good with the Drupal software stack. I could build my SQL and all these servers with my eyes closed to build Docker for fun, blah, blah, blah. But then when I went into an environment where you're working with the large teams and you're not just a sole contributor, being a senior contractor and being a senior in that kind of environment has very different expectations. And that goes back to what John's saying on how these terms are very ephemeral. They don't have a super defined thing. So you can be a senior consultant and you can have like, if, if my company here, we were putting one person on a contract and they could say they were a senior consultant and they were just a very good solo contributor. But if they were the same senior consultant on a project with 15 people under them, the expectation for the exact same job title is going to be different because the work you're doing is different. And I think it, we started this with complaining about how the terms are very wishy-washy. And I think it's the only way for us to uh, really address it is kind of on case by case where, you know, there are different expectations for each person. And then this title on this team means something different. And then we have to be when you're talking about what you do, it's not, I'm a senior engineer. It's, I have three years of leading teams um, with five or six people, and I've helped do X, Y, and Z on those teams. Because the titles, people want fun titles. And IT likes to give you titles and a pizza party and then act like they've done something for you. And it's just, <laughs> we, we, we need to shift the way we discuss what your role is away from a title and more to what you're actually doing responsibility that's yeah, part just, of that's part of the hiring process too though right which is what you you're getting to. at because part of what i ask when somebody says oh yeah well i was on this system and you know we did this and you start hearing everything is we 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 that's where i dive in and say okay and what yeah. was your role and what was your impact on that part you know that project so oh, well, so let me provoke uh, this notes. a little bit yeah let me let me poke that right so if, if we say it this way, we define the role, we hire the right person. Does the organization allow the architect to do what they were hired to do? Or do they snap them back into 
now you need to, you're also really good at, at the, you know, execution of this, this, and you become like spread too thin. So you can't jack of all trade or Jill of all trade, master of none, right? So how, how do, do organizations allow the discipline of architecture to thrive and flourish in the way that we're talking about? Or is the system just resistant to it because it, the, it needs to function a different way? So that previous example I was giving where the VP came in and changed it, if it wasn't top-down, would have never happened. And when I say top-down, like to the CIO, like nobody, in, but like, and the, the bigger thing to your point, Lev, is the CIO had to believe in it and had to sponsor it and had to make sure it happened. And it was not sunshine and rainbows. It was really hard. A lot of politics. Uh, why do they get to lead this now? Why do they get a lot of that started coming up? So I'll, that's my two cents and experiences. It, it honestly, if you bring in an architect and hire them in and the right talent at what I see, if you don't have that structure, they are spread too thin, jack of all trades, and then they pretty much get burnt out or they yep. put their head down and try to coast. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too, because there's a lot of talent yeah. out there that's stuck in that. I feel bad for them if you're out there. Part of that too. Do the worst experiences with every architect I've ever come across. Either that or I have a totally, <laughs> totally terrible, terrible expectation. Like to, to me that I've met some bright ones and maybe a couple are listening to the show, maybe not, who knows. But most of the architects I come across are these obnoxious, arrogant, neckbearded wizards who want to sit there and tell everybody, well, you need to build this way. They look like like Saruman in the tower with yeah, the, the ends, you know, like... Yeah. They're like walking with their staff and hat. Yeah, with questionable <laughs> grooming and and and, and, and then they want to they want to tell everybody how to do their jobs and it's it just always seemed to rub me the wrong way because I always got the sense that they were two or three steps abstracted from real life, right? It would be the equivalent of those of us that are agile coaches, right? Walking in and spieling about safe, safe, safe. Wait, Merman, did you join? Merman has joined the chat. Spieling <laughs> um, about safe, 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 safe without being even remotely enterprise aware about what's going on. Like it's, I know this thing and I'm going to pitch this thing. And I have met some bright ones, but most of them, they just seem to, to I don't know, high on the smell of their own farts for lack of a better analogy. And biased. I don't Very biased. I think there, I think there you are have a couple, to do it this way. <clears throat> there are a couple pieces to that. There is that approach, which is that you have to do it this way. And then there's the, um, I'm going to code this part because it has to be done a certain way. So then they end up being the bottleneck because they pull every complex thing to themselves instead of saying, here's the direction, figure it out. Now here's this direction, figure it out. So it's I, part of that though goes on having management be smart enough to track what's actually happening in the teams versus, you know, I go back and forth with the whole self-managed team because people take that and skew it way off, which means I don't have to touch or know anything at all that's happening because they're self-managed. Okay, come on. <laughs> they're agile. Something that, something that Fran said early on, though, is making me change my tune because he, the way he described a good architect is the way we describe a good coach, right? They don't solve yeah. your problems. They point you, they poke you and ask you the right questions to get you to think about where you're going and they offer the the buoys to make sure that you're staying, you're not running aground. But there it really is more of a coachy, like consultancy type thing. They just happen to know everything that they need to know. 
but they're not going to tell you what to do. They're going to teach you how yeah. they're going to teach you <clears throat> what the right thing to do is based upon the, the scenario, which I think is maybe I've been going, I've been going with this all wrong. I, I will say coming from uh, as somebody who's definitely shouted, you shall not pass in his um, fair share of scrum meetings. Um, I think one of the reasons we used to see that, that terrible archetype of the solution architect was um, on we can all remember back to where the the skill gap between a junior and a senior person was an ocean. Like, I think we're very spoiled now when we look at engineers and the ability for onboarding is so much faster. And just the, the ease of languages nowadays versus 15 years ago is a completely different thing. Um, and you'd often run into situations where that guy who, you know, questionable hygiene keeps telling everybody how they have to do it. That is a response to them every single time there's a project and a new guy comes in, they do it wrong and they break something. And I mean, there's, there have been precedents where being the, you are not allowed to touch this because I will lose a weekend. Kind of that, uh, that response to it can make some sense. I'm not saying that in the modern day space, somebody should be that controlling because I, I, I believe that's, it's a, it's a past archetype. It's not something we need to hold on to now. But there were definitely instances in the past where someone would come in and they go, okay, would you like the junior intern to take this? Um, or would you like to do it in a quarter of the time? And then it doesn't break the entire site on Friday. Um, and kind of that stuff balances out. Yeah, Franz, just to give a specific example that I know that we could like, just because I know our audience, maybe some people are like, what are all these use cases things are talking about? Like a good one that uh, comes up often, and it's a very common one among engineers, is when they're talking about a simple integration from like one third-party cloud system to maybe something on one of your tools. And of course, one of the very common things that a lot of engineers that maybe are maybe junior or not as established, the architect will always, a good architect will just come in there to Franz's point, shove them aside and be like, show me your calls, show me how you're structuring it. What's the network? Show me the layers, show me how you're doing this. But instead of doing that, you know, they'll let the engineers talk it out, draw their solution, figure it out. And then the architect all of a sudden goes, hmm, so that, uh, that line there that has that integration, uh, is that encrypted? Do you think that's important? You know, and like, makes people feel bad, like, oh, yeah, I guess encryption is important, huh? And he goes, yeah, probably, you know, what if it's at rest? Probably should be encrypted too, right? Oh, uh, yeah. But like the moment they have that, oh, yeah, we just got coached by the architect. Like they'll always remember, hey, that architect, remember when he brought up encryption? Like that's what I mean by like, that's what the architect should do. But to Franz's point, sometimes it's uh, easier, faster, and cheaper to just be like, hey, you did this wrong. I'm going to fix this and just encrypt it for you. Yeah. Well, and again, if you're the SME and you, you're the subject matter expert for uh, how we send traffic from A to B, mm -hmm. and you're the absolute expert on that, the amount of time it takes you to teach somebody who's an expert on B to C, but doesn't know anything about A to B, yep. um, the amount of time it takes you could double or triple the, it could, it could have your velocity for that day. Like that's, there's yep. a lot of costs in IT and IT guys, we want to get our eight hours of work done in five. And uh, just having to work that extra three hours and put in a full day, like we'll do what we can to uh, to avoid having to do something that terrible, right? Larry, Larry Wall. Yeah. Great way to end up with single points of failure. Right. Now that's that's going back to the initial stuff I was saying about architect, where you have the one guy who's an expert of everything. And so when there's those difficult questions that need to get answered, you can just ask the architect. And then John's response to, well, every we should have a culture where we don't need that. Um, 
as someone who's been an architect and then quit a company, it's super unexciting getting emails for six weeks. Hey, by the way, how do we unlock this? Oh, hey, where's the security key for this? Hey, do you still have your SSL certs for all these applications that are now not working? It's like, I gave you the laptop. None of these are my problems. Like, <laughs> it's You have to be very careful with creating... Um, those single points of failure because there's a value and it can definitely speed stuff up. But if you only have one architect, then you're going to run into issues, which is then where the, the lead engineers come in and they should be able to step into the role of an architect. So I have um, a question for the crowd. Um, are architects uh, a valuable asset? And this goes back to interesting chats we've had in the past on this podcast on um, coaches and even scrum masters and contracting versus FTEs. And like, how do you view the architects in this space? As, are they needed to be FTEs? Is there a balance? Is it situational? How have you guys seen it? Uh, Most places I've worked, they have been, they have been full timers. However, if we're trying to do something kind of crazy, right, kind of goofy or outside of our comfort zone, I have seen companies go out and get like, <laughs> we need someone who knows Drupal. Oh, look, there's this Franz guy, and he's an expert. Okay, well, let's bring him in for a for a spell. That's how they handle it. Yeah. Because we we need to fit, we need someone to help us understand what we're actually getting into, um, before we go do the. Th I mean, I, I've even seen shit when I was doing IVR work. We paid a lot of money for a guy to come in and the VUID, the voice user, uh, user interface designer, the guy who actually designed how the voice IVR would talk to the mm -hmm. to the actual code and stuff, because he knew it better and he could teach us how to do it ourselves. So it was worth it was worth uh being what is it, penny wise or pound foolish? Yeah. It was worth spending the money to have them teach us as opposed to us trying to hammer it ourselves. And, you know, you're in the IVR trying to make a payment and next thing you know, somebody's yelling at you in like Spanish. I don't know, it's kind of a wild experience, but yeah, it was worth spending the money. I'll, I don't think you can be an enterprise architect and be um, part-time or be contract. And I think you'd be an absolutely insane company to let that kind of onboarding be put into a uh, non-FTE employee. Because the domain of expertise on it is so different because you're not disagree. learning a software. I don't disagree, but I'm chuckling because how many times have we seen a very prestigious uh, consultant or senior consultant that leads the entire transformation of an organization for how they should operate? Oh, no, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. But I'm saying, how many times have we also seen those firms basically say, we're going to double our rate or you can buy us. Um, yeah. And if you don't do either of those things, you're going to spend six months just trying to figure out what we're doing. And I think that's the issue with it. You want to well, have, have them bought out as much as possible. You guys are poking at a different episode we probably should do, which we <laughs> touched on orthogonally before the the being married to a particular vendor for a particular program for a particular time mm -hmm. or at some point they have you bent over the barrel and i don't think i think most companies don't realize until it is too late so steven, we're gonna need a bigger boat steven do you think um do you think architects should have the mindset of working themselves out of the job i mean my opinion is pretty much everybody should have that mindset Okay. Right. Well I mean, <laughs> and, we all and should be. you should be in two fronts. One is how can I make my job easier so I can move on to better and bigger and better things? Um, and then the, 
the flip is if I'm stagnant enough and always here, when do I get replaced? So mm -hmm. we should, I had a manager who said his job over the next six months to a year is to train me to be his replacement. Because if you are not, your niche is not going to leave because you get a promotion. That niche is still going to exist. And so you should be training someone to fill that niche so you can get the bigger, scarier one. But I think that then that is a, a tightrope act with your employer, though, because I'm not going to replace, I'm not going to train my replacement if I don't see something bigger coming down for me. I'm not going to want to train my replacement if I think... If I view it as a hostile spot where if I teach Jimmy all of my little secrets to keep every, keep all the lights on, that you guys are just going to boot me because you're paying Jimmy a quarter of what you're paying me. Like, uh, been there, done that. Oh, we've all been there. That's that's mm -hmm. We've all had those bad employers. And I think, luckily, I think now a lot of employers have wisened up to that. Like I, the, the company I work in, we've talked about our uh, performance review episode, um, is it's very driven towards we're pushing you to the next spot and your job is to make it so somebody else can have yours because we have a better thing waiting for you. And they're very aggressive about that. And mm -hmm. I think it's, it's important to, if your company doesn't care about your career, that's their job is to care about your career and your job is to care about them as much as possible. But because that's the but, give and take. <clears throat> right. But as, as large companies, I feel like, they have created the gatekeeping culture, right? That's how we're raised. Oh, yeah. You gatekeep mm -hmm. information to, so you are, you know, more Job important security. or you're eligible. Exactly. Right. So you harbor the knowledge to, so the concept, I think from an agile mindset perspective is I'm always working myself out of a job. That's always my goal, right? Like it's, it's to, it's to build better people, not, not be yeah. more agile. So I think that's a, that's a, a blind spot or, culture doesn't necessarily allow that to thrive because as humans a lot of us it's i'm not a bad person but i might have a knee-jerk reaction to gatekeep information myself when a sneaker drops you think i want to let the world know no i want <laughs> access first and everyone else can eat i want to eat first so that's it's human nature right mm -hmm. that's a hard thing to to combat right Right. So it's our genetic programming. Franz was poking at something John and I were talking about earlier this week. I actually picked up a copy of the principles of scientific management by Taylor, because I, we always talk about this thing and we talk shit on it. And I really wanted to read it. And one of the things that we agilists have totally screwed the pooch on, right? We love to blame Taylorism. A huge chunk of his body of work, of that piece of work, it starts off very early on with him saying there is a relationship between employer and employee, the employer's job is to give as much effort as they can to do a good job for their employer. The employer's job is to not only care about that employee, but do as much as you can to support and reward them for doing that good job. So this is what, 1906? Was this thing written? 19 something like that? 1904? 1901? Nobody listened. <laughs> this is like, this is something, this is over 100 years old. And to your to Franz's point, there's times that we have completely lost the plot. We have completely lost the plot. And I think that that's if there's one thing we could all take away from this conversation is um, they're not all neckbearded wizards, but we need to be we need to be a little more cognizant of each organization and what words we're using to describe the things we're using to describe because the nomenclature will get us hung out. 1911, so, by the way, that was the exact date. 
1911. Exactly. Exactly. Real, uh, real quick. I, 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 this is my favorite story of a crazy IT neck beard and gatekeeping knowledge, and I don't get to share it enough. Um, <laughs> and it's it's a it's a cautionary tale on why we want to reward our employees so they don't gatekeep and cause all these problems. There was a system admin for the city of San Francisco who had um, control over almost the entire infrastructure for the city of San Francisco. And um, he got into an argument with San Francisco and he quit or was fired or whatever it was. And so he turned off all of the infrastructure for the city. And he was the only person who had to turn it back on. So there was like a three, I mean, there, the story is more detailed, but there is a story of the wizardy neckbeard going in and hoarding knowledge and taking down an entire municipality. <laughs> I mean, at this point, if he could find a way to just trigger all the fire hydrants and maybe wash the city, maybe I think that would that would just be a solution. <laughs> yeah, the model, find a solution to a complex problem. Yeah, One of the go. lines that's uh, along similar lines of sharing knowledge and and all that is the you know what if I train my employees and they leave and the the converse response is what if you don't train them and they stay, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's the same kind of concept if you're treating your employees right and helping with the growth mindset. If they do grow and leave, it's a better reflection on you and your company right. and your culture that says, yes, that was a fantastic place to work. And I was able to go from there to here. Right. So you're still built. It's a total different mindset. Also <laughs> architects, architects trying to work themselves out of a job. If they're at a good company and they're doing a good job, that company is going to continue to grow and continue to have need for the good architect. So, well, that's how you become a principal. Is yes. you've architected so hard over the last however many years that now your skill is above an architect and you're at the point where you can start managing entire contracts or whatever it is and start shifting away from just developing a hands on keyboard. Franz is actually poking at something which we could probably turn into again another episode, the idea of a software principle. Uh, most companies are starting to finally realize that that is a role that you really do need, right? You don't just, because what do they otherwise, what do they do? They promote someone up into management. Where no, that's, that's, that I studied management, I'm terrible at it. That's not something, that's not a reward, right? Oh, look, now you don't just have your own problems, John. You have these 15 problems, people's problems to go along with your problems. I'm sure your your background in comp sci where you were, uh, you know, building assembler um, code we'll is really going to help when Steven comes around the corner just losing his shit because someone called him a gray, gray haired neck beard and doesn't want to listen to his, doesn't want to read his architecture picture. I'm sure that'll help. <laughs> no read picture did not work jay we're actually going through this right now in my role with my engineers and, and teams where um we we have a lack of a leader that can drive the application governance policies code quality standards how what is uh when we start implementing other uh, open source plugins how the application pipelines do scanning against the code and how we do better monitoring on so like where does that leadership come from because it's very tactical level right it's very granular we don't have a good established role that is a principal software engineer that is accountable for that governance and driving engineering practices. And so we're actually, and this is where it gets interesting because you mentioned management as well. When you're a, a dev manager, everybody has had their different flares of dev management. Like sometimes they're line managers, they're functional managers, they're hands-on managers and like all these types 
the best successful ones I've seen are ones that are more people focused and actually do the learning development, you know, the uh, and drive that as their primary function. And then if they really want to stay technical and close with the code, you need to be on a different path then. Like you need to be on the principal path and like or a senior mm -hmm. engineer path where, and just make sure they have that opportunity. That's the big issue where leadership screws up. And they do it because of cost. Let's be real. They want to consolidate right. the roles and squeeze as much as they can out of their people. Well, there's the other piece too, which is promoting people beyond what they want. I've oh, seen that yeah. happen a bunch. You're really great at being a team lead. We're going to move you to the engineering manager and you're going to be over a bunch of teams. Take it I didn't lead. even want to be a team lead. <laughs> I want to code. What That's are you right. doing? Yeah. You mentored Jimmy really well. No, Jimmy just sucked with his code. I had to help I, him. <laughs> I didn't mentor. I just did the work. I have things to do. <laughs> so uh, on this positive note, we're quickly hitting an hour, so we're going to wrap it up. I want to thank all of you gents for coming on. Uh, I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in once again. This is a topic I don't think we've ever touched on. So if you enjoyed it, please let us know. Hop in the Discord and... Uh, give us some feedback. So maybe we'll do more of these uh, quasi-technical conversations. I definitely feel like I brought the room down. So thank you to uh, Krebs and Machine Man Records for our outreach. Uh, we do have a Patreon.